today we come to 2 Corinthians. Now in this book, this episode, we will see the practical reality of life on earth. You know, in Romans, it seemed to be so beautiful that God's righteousness was revealed to us that we could be born again. The power of the gospel in Romans was declared to us. And then we realize in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that though people are born again, justified so marvelously, given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, yet sanctification is a journey and it's a long difficult journey that we need to go through now of course this is not preached very often most christians believe that the day they get saved is going to be a step into a beautiful journey of ease and prosperity and health and everything else right there's a lot of hucksters fraud who preach this just to get crowds into their churches right to make the easy uh they sell a fake gospel and of course the more people come in the more they can ring them and squeeze them for offerings and they can live very very good uh, easy lives after that right so that's the gospel that we hear a lot and in fact in a lot of the bigger mega churches that is the gospel that is offered but what we see in corinthians was oh the first church was so terrible. What a difficulty in that church, right? And Paul's agonies with that church. We come to this book today, this episode, Second Corinthians. And let me tell you, it's even tougher. The pain, the struggles we are going to go through. You're going to see the journey of sanctification is almost like the journey of Jesus Christ right we are not only safe from hell we're safe to christ likeness and how do you go to christ likeness without following his footsteps i don't know jesus said follow me are you ready to follow him you say yeah i want to go to heaven no 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 no. he had to go through a lot first okay his journey on this earth was tough and so we see paul's life very tough right in second corinthians okay so let's just look at the events after first corinthians after first corinthians paul wrote to them that letter which we studied then you thought well maybe after that letter everything would go well the truth was no the people whom he had led to the lord in corinth after 18 months of hard labor and love and sacrifice that he really sacrificed that he worked extremely hard as a tent maker he never took one cent from them he sacrificed for them many came to the lord and then they fell into sin other false preachers came in and 
you know, sold a cheap gospel. It's, it's been forever. I don't think it's a new thing, all right? And people began to reject Paul. So they preferred the new freedom from these new preachers. You can still sin. It's okay. It's okay. You're free in Christ. Sound familiar? Right? Grace. You got grace already. You're saved. You go to heaven. Go to enjoy yourself, right? And so they fell into immorality and idolatry, all kinds of stuff. And then when Paul wrote the letter, they rejected the letter, right? They said, what kind of strict teachings is this? I prefer the new ones, okay? The, the, the new preachers. So they rebelled against Paul. So Paul rushed to visit them. That was his second visit. The first one was 18 months. Then when he wrote the letter, to them he heard that they had rebelled and they were angry with the letter. So he rushed to visit them and that was very painful. Right? We see that in 2 Corinthians, right? Mm. Chapter 2. And verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. What was this painful visit? It's the one. He rushed there. The first visit was not painful. The first 18 months there, they, they loved him. He taught them truth. They grew, became a church. So he decided to leave. But then we heard all these problems. He wrote the letter and they rebelled against him. He heard about the rebellion. He rushed there. For this visit was very painful. While well, they really rejected him. The one who led them to the Lord was rejected right by them then what he do was he wrote another letter right another letter and that is found in second corinthians chapter 2 verse 2 for if i cause you pain who is there to make me glad but the one whom i have pain and i wrote as i did so that when i came i might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. So he wrote a letter hoping, all right, that if he comes again, all right, then things would be better. Now that letter is not put in the inspired scriptures. So it's there somewhere, maybe one finds it, some archaeologists will find it, but that's it. the issue is it wasn't, God didn't decide to put this into the Bible, that so-called missing letter. Right, I've got Paul wrote many letters, right? So what happens is, after that letter, the missing letter, so to speak, after that painful visit, he wrote a letter. And after that letter, what happens was, many of the people in Corinth realized they were wrong. Paul was really a good guy. They were arrogant. They were deceived by this new slick preachers preaching a easy gospel so to speak not even a gospel all right and they apologized to paul and they wanted reconciliation after that letter so paul writes this letter now to tell them hey hey we are reconciled don't worry i assure you i love you and i care for you Right? So he wrote 2 Corinthians to assure them of his 
love. So the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians 1 to 7 is about Paul assuring them of the reconciliation, right? Then the second part of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8 and 9, is quite a different topic. Paul is telling them, hey, don't forget to be generous. You heard you wanted to be generous, you forgot about it because all the problems that came up, you forgot about your generosity for the starving Jews in Jerusalem. There was a lot of Christians in Jerusalem who were starving, going through a famine, and because they were Christians, they were rejected by the other Jews, they were really suffering. And when Paul was in Corinth, they said, oh, let's give to them, let's give to them. But then what happened was in all these problems, they forgot. So chapter 8 and 9 reminds them, don't forget what you plan to do. And then the last part of 2 Corinthians, chapter 10 to 13, speaks of Paul challenging the remaining people who did not repent, who did not accept his apostleship over them, his ministry over them, and challenging the false uh, preachers who were still hanging around among them. All right? So we see three parts. First part, Paul assures them, it's okay, don't worry. We are reconciled. We all make mistakes. God always opens the door of reconciliation through repentance. Say sorry and get back. Eight and nine, hey, 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 you forgot what you said you would do for the poor, starving Jews, in Jewish Christians uh, in Jerusalem. And then chapter 10 to 13, he says, to those who have not yet accepted my leadership and think I'm a fake, and to all those fake preachers there, I'm going to give it to you. All right, and then he whacks them hard in chapter 10 to 13. Right, those parts quite sarcastic, quite strong. All right, so if you look at First Corinthians, it is basically Paul telling them what's wrong. First Corinthians with them. How come you turn back to immorality, idolatry, and all these things? Paul's telling them what's wrong. In Second Corinthians, it's actually more Paul saying, "You thought I was wrong. Let me tell you." Okay. Paul's defending himself, basically, in 2 Corinthians. And because he has to defend himself, it's almost like an autobiography of Paul. It's very interesting. Because of this problem in Corinth, we know a lot about the life of Apostle Paul. Because he had to tell these Corinthians, you don't know me? Let me tell you who I am. You think I'm a fake? Let me tell you who I am, right? They were all questioning him. The people in uh, Corinth had been fooled by the new slick guys who came in. And the slick guys were saying that Paul cannot be the real deal. How can he be? He's so poor. He doesn't even get support from you guys. He's not even a full-timer. He's a tent maker, for goodness sake, all right? He's been in jail so many times, right? He's been facing persecution. He's so unimpressive as a preacher. How can he be the real deal? 
Look at us. We're so much better. So Paul had to write to defend himself. So 2 Corinthians almost reads like a autobiography of a man, Paul. In fact, we know a lot about Paul because of this problem in the Corinthian church. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what is a missionary's life, what should be a Christian's life, because Paul represents, he said, be followers of me, even as I am of Jesus Christ. How to follow Paul when I don't know what his life is like? All right, so when you read 2 Corinthians, you're seeing what you should be like as a, uh, so you, I would suggest listen to it in the New Living Translation audio. It gives you the anguish, the pain of Paul. And that's going to be your pain too if you really want to follow Christ. That's your pain because Christ also had pain, Paul had pain, and you will have pain because we are Christians. We follow in the path of Christ, right? So many times we have no clue, no clue. In fact, the first suffering we have as a Christian, we get a heart attack. Oh my goodness, how come? Huh. We weren't prepared for it, right? Because we never read the Bible the way we should. After Romans, justification, then we read Corinthians. The church isn't as great as you think it is. See, many Christians go to church and get discouraged. They see all kinds of problems in churches and, oh my goodness, they get discouraged. If you read Corinthians, it won't be. It's a sin-cursed world. In a sin-cursed world, nothing is good. Even the good things are tainted and rotten right and so if you don't read the bible as one book you get all kinds of heart attacks along the way all kinds of discouragements and confusion right so that's where second corinthians comes in so listen to the nlt audio version as it will give you this nice feeling of anguish and pain that you will go through if you are a real christian and if you really want to live a christian life right now, let's look at uh, a few, since we have time, let's look at a few verses along the way. Let's go to chapter 1, right? Go to chapter 1 of this book, and we will see in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. All right? What is this? Is it very comforting to you to read this? We're going to share abundantly abundantly in Christ's sufferings? Is that what you were told when you came into the family of God? Or you're told you're going to be healthy and wealthy? Hallelujah! Right? Now, you enter any family, you understand the character of that family. The character of Jesus' family is service. Loving those who don't love you. Agape love. God is love. What is God is love? Romantic? What is God is love? He loves those who love him? No, no, no. God is love means God loves the unlovely. God reaches out. God reaches down. God serves those who hate him. That's a Christian life, my friend. 
Is that a shock to you? <laughs> all right. So we need the God of mercy and all comfort because our journey as a Christian isn't going to be a bed of roses. All right. It's going to be a tough journey, but yet with great comfort along the way. I always say the Christian life is a lot of struggle outside, a great peace inside. The, the life of an unbeliever is a lot of comfort outside and great agony and emptiness and miserableness inside. Which one do you want? You choose, all right? But you can't have both. You can't say comfort outside and peace inside. It doesn't exist, definitely not in the Christian faith, right? And it doesn't exist in the world for that matter. All right, so we see here, then Paul in chapter 3. It's quite interesting. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, chapter 3, verse 1, huh? or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul says, do I really need to write a get letters of recommendation to you? You guys who got saved through me, all right? through my ministry in you, this church in Corinth would not even have existed without you, without me, Paul said. And yet, now you're questioning my apostleship. If I was not a real uh, ambassador of Christ, how come you guys got saved? How come you guys now believe in Christ? How come you guys are talking, you know, know you are believers? It's through me. But now I need to bring a letter of recommendation to you so that you can say, ah, Paul, you're real now. You see, what do you learn from this? You learn that when you serve God, you serve God among people who are still sin-tainted, namely ungrateful. All right? One of the problems with this world we live in is that it's a sinful world and one of the biggest and commonest sin, I think it's a commonest sin, is complaining, ingratitude and complaining. And even after we become believers, that's still our problem. Ingratitude is a huge problem. So if you want to serve God, please get used to the fact that the very ones you serve, right, you invested your life in, as Paul did for 18 months or even for 50 years, invest your life. Don't expect gratitude. You expect lots of complaints and ingratitude, right? That's why I always tell young ministers you serve an audience of one if you serve for thanksgiving and gratitude in this world if that's your motive for service please don't go in you're going to be very disappointed you go in because you serve someone who was so good to you on the cross and if you get a thanksgiving and appreciation it's a bonus it's not a right it's not an expectation okay right so Make sure you understand that, right, Christian? You think they thank Christ when he was on the cross? They shout, crucify him when he served them for three and a half years. So they're going to say thank you to you. Are you all right? Are you greater than your master? <laughs> right. So chapter 4, verse 8 to 12. Okay? Quite depressing, huh? All right? So you need to read this because this is life, right? As the Lord's life. Chapter 4, verse 8 to 12. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal body. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Wow. All right. This is this is the life you have entering into, right? Afflicted in every way. Do you see a contrast? Right? It seems like you're really getting zapped. On the other hand, there's some comfort coming along. Right? Every time there's one statement, another statement that says it keeps still you are still upheld by a hand of grace. So it looks like after all those whack, 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 you'll be down and out, knockout, but you're not. Alright? That is the Christian life. God of comfort and mercy will sustain you as you walk towards Christ's likeness. Okay? But I want you to notice something. You see the word manifested twice here. Right? Let's look at verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be may also be manifested in our bodies look at verse 11 for we who live are always be, being given over to death for jesus sake so that the life of jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh and it's not like he's repeating it twice why why is the writer apostle paul the master writer repeating this twice almost like he forgot he wrote the first line no 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 he's telling us when you suffer and people see your suffering, even when they don't thank you, you still love them. Even when others reject you, you should share the gospel with them. Even when, when people are hostile to you, you still go and help them. You know what they're seeing? They're seeing the life of Jesus manifested in you. Not preached by you, but manifested by you. Have you realized that God allows us to go through all these sufferings as we serve others? Because God wants us to demo the real life of Jesus, not say. Words are cheap. Everybody can talk. Walk proves much more than talk. And I can tell you, all those preachers who stand up there with all their beautiful brilliance and all that talk don't have one fraction as much power as a simple missionary, a simple servant of God who serves others in spite of the hostility, the ingratitude, the whole danger. Let me tell you, you know what? Whose sermon is more powerful? The eloquent words or the simple walk? Look at it carefully. The life of Jesus will be manifested in you, not proclaimed by your words, by the hot air out of your mouth okay so i hope you understand god allows us to go through this as we serve him because when people see this they see the christ you are describing so real you mean really jesus they scream crucify him he still said father forgive them you mean this is the jesus you want me to believe in is this the love of god that god came down to be rejected and hated and yet continues to love us I see that in your life all right
So now you know why we go through suffering. It's called setting us as a example. Right? It's a living parable. People believe what they see. All right. You say, well, that's tough. I don't want to do that. Don't worry. God is kind. Chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul considers all these things he's describing as light momentary because of the comparison with the great glory he anticipates. You cannot do anything for God, right, without God recognizing it. He saw all our sins. He also sees all our labor, right? Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, yes, we are going to go through affliction in this life, but that doesn't mean a thing. How long can you go through it? 70 years of ministry, that's long. But how long will you be blessed in eternity? Cannot compare, all right? Now, chapter 5, verse 17 is often preach out of context. Chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Wow. Everybody look. Ah, we're a new creation, you know? What's a new creation? Someone like Christ. With the love of Christ. What kind of love? Agape love. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 told us about what is love. It's agape love. That means giving love, serving love, sacrificial love for those who don't love you. Eros is you're attracted to somebody. Philadelphia is, wow, we have affinity, we are buddies. Agape is, I just want to pay attention to that guy. I want to help him. Why? Because God helped me. I was worthless. God loved me. He's worthless. I will love him. But he'll curse you and slap you. Yeah, that's exactly what I did to my God. I mocked God for years. He will mock me. That's okay. All right? So that's a new creation. I'm sorry, it's not the creation that looks more beautiful and healthy and richer. Hey, many men being Christ is a new creation. Wow, new creation church. Wow, all right. What's a new creation? Christ-likeness. You know who's Christ? <laughs> all right. You want to wear his thorns on his head and carry the cross? Okay. Chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, with this ability to be like Christ, new, new creation that wants to love the unlovely, you can be ambassadors. Surprise. Surprise to be an ambassador, right? But that's what you want to do because... God sent his ambassador to us. His name is called Jesus Christ. The first ambassador to lead, all right, from heaven to earth, all right, not from country to country, not from man to man, but the long journey away from heaven to earth, the ambassador Jesus Christ. You want to be like that? <laughs> okay. 
All right, we look at chapter 6, verse 4 to 10. Now, this one I just read for you. It's really repeating a lot of what we just said, but it's good for you to know. Chapter 6, verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You see the paradox of the Christian life? Looks so terrible outside, but it's so amazing inside. You can rejoice in suffering. How come? What's happening? Only that's the mystery of being like Jesus. Okay. okay, so I hope that is giving us a better example of the new creation you will be if you are truly in Christ and want to be like Christ, imparting more and more in the journey as you understand salvation is not from hell, but from hell to Christ-likeness. And then in chapter 7, right, remember this 1 to 7, Paul speaks of reconciliation. In chapter 7, verse 10, he tells us about their repentance was true. Their repentance turned them back to being good. Now, there are two kinds of... When you scold somebody, two things can happen, right? He can turn away or he can look at himself and turn to Christ, turn to reconcile with you. So when Paul wrote a letter, some turn away. Enough with this guy. I don't want to be scolded by anyone. There's nothing wrong with me. something wrong with him. But for many, for the majority, they said, sorry, Paul. We're getting right. We want to be like Christ. We want to be more like him and like you. Okay. So we come to the next section, chapter 8 to 9. It's about forgotten generosity. They, during when Paul was there, they said, yeah, we must help those poor, persecuted Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. They're really having such a hard time. And then the famine comes and they said, my goodness, in the famine, everybody's hungry, but the persecuted Jewish Christians are really going to be super starving. And so let's collect money for them. But when all these problems came, they forgot. And so Paul reminds them, hey, don't forget what you said you would do. Okay, And you can read it. But what I want you to see is how one of the proofs of our salvation, proof, evidence of our salvation in your life, not, not condition for you to be saved, but evidence, right, is that you will be generous to the undeserving, to people you don't even know. I mean, honestly, the Corinth was so far from Jerusalem, 99 percent of the people in the church had no idea who these guys were and yet they were going to help them right because it is a mark of christianity right that we 
have the heart of God for people far away, people we don't know. Okay, so let's look at uh, chapter 8 and verse 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So how come we can be generous? Because of Christ. He was so generous to us. He became poor, came to this earth, born in a manger, grew up in a carpenter's house, in his ministry had nowhere to stay, no permanent address. And yet, through his poverty,